0: On the beat, would you get the memo? I literally bled over the instrumental. Would you feel my pain? Relate to my story? Revere my name? I'm ashamed myself, it took this long. Who need you to tell me what I did wrong? Don't talk about potential. High school at 12, I know about potential. And
1: Welcome to the Allies Podcast. I'm your host, Carmen Farina. In this episode, we're speaking with Lenny Uddiback Fortson, an African-American author and uh, communications professional who works for the U.S. Department of Labor. I've known Lenny for more than 35 years, and we talk about a wide range of subjects, whether it's uh, growing up, as an African-American girl in the 70s and 80s and maybe not quite fitting in um, in the different communities that she was living in, Uh, all the way through what it's like being a parent and raising a boy in a world where uh, being an African-American boy can be dangerous. Um, Lenny has a, uh, a, a deep and rich background as a writer and as a poet, and we even get into what it's like to create art. Uh, Around these uh, tense times. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the Allies Podcast with my friend uh, Lenny Udibeck-Fortz. Hello, this is uh, Carmen Farino and this is the first edition of the Allies Podcast. And this is a heart-to-heart discussion with people of all backgrounds, ethnicities, and experiences about what's happening in the world today. So um, without further ado, I want to welcome my first guest. It is a uh, a longtime friend of mine, Lenny Uddebeck Fortson. Lenny and I have known each other for a long time. We are both uh, communications professionals. We grew up in the same town, but we have pretty different life experiences and uh, family backgrounds. So Lenny, I want to welcome you to the podcast and dive right in.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Carm. I'm really excited to uh, have this discussion.
1: Well, you know, I, I think the context for everybody is um, with the protests that are going on, um, interactions between people with different backgrounds, whether you're an African-American woman like Lenny or you're a, um, a, a white male like like I am, it becomes um, more difficult to have frank discussions when people are afraid to offer their opinions. And Lenny and I have talked about this before, but the, the real key to this is is how to have um civil discourses. So Lenny, maybe you can talk to me a a little bit about why it's so important to do that, especially in this age of uh, social media and uh, kind of uh, blind um, texting and yelling back and forth at people online.
0: It's
2: funny that you should say that because um, before we started talking, I was on Facebook and just sort of scrolling through and just um, sort of marveling at all of the different heated discussions that were taking place um, with a lot of uh, misunderstanding and a lot of um, throwing um, accusations at at people. And I think that that's where civil discourse comes in and cuts through all of that. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think we've sort of grown accustomed to to being um, sort of behind a veil expressing Mm. our opinions um and so you know with that there isn't always the responsibility that people should take for what they're saying and how they're saying saying it um Mm -hmm. and people really can't get to the heart of the matter and i think when real discourse takes place um real conversation uh you, you sort of cut through the the Surface stuff, the the labels, the, the um, ways that people sort of imagine that mm-hmm. others are like. Um, well, and
1: they and they sort the world, don't they? I mean, in a, in a lot of ways, people have this, you know, it's the human interest to say, you know, this person fits here, that person fits there, and I think to a certain extent, from from my perspective, this layer, this barrier, where you're not in the same room with somebody. Um, makes it a lot easier to, to impersonally sort people.
2: Oh, definitely. Because I think people to in order to make themselves feel comfortable, they have to sort of put people in different pegs. So okay. because then then that, that that makes sense to them.
1: Um Well, you I mean you you've gone through that, right? I mean, you've you um you grew up in the the same town as I did. Um it was um both African American neighborhoods and Caucasian neighborhoods, but not a lot of Latino, not a lot of Asian Pacific Islanders, Um, and it you you felt in a lot of cases, even as a child, that you were kind of sorted, you know, and sometimes you don't always fit.
2: Well, or you sort of see, or or you're sort of treated like you have one foot in one pile and one foot in another. <laughs> I mean, and that's kind of how I grew up. I, I grew up in an, in a development that, um, was predominantly white. Um, mm-hmm. I think maybe there were a handful of, um, African-American families, if that. Um, and so, and I, it, it was in a, a community that, you know, that was predominantly white. So my mm-hmm. experience in elementary school was that I was one, only one in the class um, person of color, um, mm-hmm. or maybe one of two. I think one year I was one of two. Um, and so I grew up with friends that were predominantly white. Um, mm-hmm. And then when you know all of our elementary schools converged into our junior high school, um, and that's when I started seeing people of other races um, more frequently, um, I was ostracized though because I was told I I sounded white. <laughs> I acted white. Um, so I think, you know, everybody tries to figure out and label folks one way or another. And yeah. so when you have somebody that has sort of characteristics of, of both cultures,
1: mm-hmm. people
2: don't always know what to do with that.
1: Well, I mean, does that, does that make you, you know, to a certain extent, it, it's hard to fit in anywhere if you, if you don't sort into those easy boxes. So how do you as a child process stuff like that? Because I think there's a lot of kids that are going through that now.
2: Um. Yeah. My, I mean, my son is one.
1: <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. And um, I, I think, I mean, my attitude was always, the, my friends are my friends. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: And yeah. I speak this way at home, bec- I speak this way because this is how we speak at home. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, I was always sort of challenged to wrap my head around why it wasn't okay <laughs> to be the way that I am.
1: Part of what I, what I want to get at with podcasts like this are to ask, you know, awkward questions of, of people and, um, and to really kind of dive into their point of view. And as a, as a white guy, um, you know, I can sort white males into their ethnicity. I can see that person is Irish or Italian or German or whatever. And it really just means their ethnicity, um, what their historical background is, but it's not like I'm, I'm sitting there and making a judgment on them one way or the other, unless I have some sort of a bias is do you feel it's that way, um, toward people of color? Or do you think that there's all kinds of other loaded things behind, um, the color of your skin or the way that you speak? Is it more complicated, uh, in terms of the navigation of that either within, you know, the world of people of color or with, you know, when you're, you're dealing with, you know, Caucasian people who maybe don't understand.
2: Um, I I mean, I think, I think, in the African-American community, it's, it's cultural constructs. Um, so, you know, you, you, you're either sort of of the culture or not of the culture
0: mm.
2: and people make judgments that way. Um, and so, you know, speaking, um, you know, perfect English, it was always considered something that, that white people do. Mm-hmm. Um and so, um and or you, have these you know listening parents. to certain music, listening to certain kinds of music, dressing a certain way.
1: Yeah. And and you have these accomplished parents where they have done these big things. They've been involved in these, you know, these these big progressive movements. And, you know, you, you, probably had that whole experience of, you know, this is your world. You have the opportunity to do that. So how did, how did, how did you navigate that as a, as a kid? Was it kind of in, incredulous to you to say like, well, wait a minute, this doesn't match with what I've been told my entire life.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I think I just, I knew that I just am who I am and, and, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm the product of 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 my parents um primarily my mother cuz that's who I sort of gravitated to growing up um, mm-hmm. and she was very she w- I mean she was very um intentional about um, introducing us to cultural um events and 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 mm-hmm. offerings um and 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 that's where a lot of you know my understanding about African-American history and the African-American culture came from. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, you know, when I kind of shrugged it off, I think, at least externally, I think internally I was, you know, you don't, you don't like feeling rejected in any way, Mm -hmm. but I kind of shrugged it off and said, you know, like you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, that's a yeah. very narrow um, view of, of who an African-American person could be, you know, the way that they speak, the the, 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 the music that they listen to. I mean, they're, you know, we are um, a people that are, are so diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, So I think that that was my, you know, that was sort of my attitude.
0: Um.
1: When, when my mom, my mom grew up in Alaska and California, and when she moved from, um, from there to South Philly, she was her, her mom and her mom was a big reader. And so they, they read all the time and she went to South Philly where there weren't a lot of readers. And my father's father couldn't understand how, why she was reading a book and laughing at what was in the book. He just couldn't wrap his head around the fact that, you know, she was experiencing these stories and, um, it separated her from a lot of them and it separated me you know a kid who walked around with a book all the time um, because that's not how that culture was um and when you find there's something different like that you feel a little bit more isolated um but what i want to get at there is when when you do that don't you seek out the commonality do you, you look for the things that we that kind of align up that say well we all we all feel this we all feel that and i feel like right now we're focused Um, We're not focusing on the things that we agree on, that maybe it's social media, et cetera. Um, But I find myself at some point stopping and saying, do we agree with 70 percent of what our thinking is? And there's 30 percent that we disagree when we have these discourses online.
2: Well, I mean, I think if we even, you know, think about it in terms of the basics, you know, Mm -hmm. we all love our families. You know, we all want to do well. We all, you know, if we have children, we want to make sure that our children are happy and healthy. Um, yeah. We want to enjoy life. I mean, I think we all can say that those things are, um, are things that we're, that we you know, um, that are important to us. Um, and I, and I do think that, you know, th- that there are things, that, more things that we have in common than, um, than things that separate us in terms of, um, ways of looking at, 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 at the world. Um, but I, but I think that's where the discourse comes in because I think people can get closer to the middle when they spend time really talking and, 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 um, again, cutting through the, the, the the stuff. I, um, I, teach a class at Gwinnett Mercy and um, it's called Examining Post-Racial America. And one of the projects that they have to do is to gather a group, it has to be a heterogeneous group, Um, and they, you know, for about an hour have to engage in dialogue about this issue. And I mean, the, the question on the table is, is it possible for there to be a post-racial America?
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and I have not been disappointed by the fact that students have come back and said that as it was uncomfortable and awkward, you know, it was not an easy conversation to have, but it was an important conversation to have. And and if they hadn't been given the assignment, they probably would never have had it. Mm. Um, and that, you know a lot of a lot of those walls were broken down um during the course of of those discussions um, well, you
1: know, so i did, i did i i taught um tony morrison's novel beloved uh at rutgers to freshman um 101 students and um the faculty didn't want me to teach it they felt like mm-hmm. it was it was too difficult a book um but you know 2 thirds of the class were African American, and it seemed to me that teaching a book like that that talked about those issues was more relevant, especially to women. Um, to to see you know to see and discuss those those voices, and um, they really really engaged in that topic, and not just you know the the African American uh, students, but but everybody did because I think it part of that is opening up people's eyes to, you know, someone else's experiences. And, you know, I, I, w- I want to segue into something that frustrates me. Um, just kinda, and I know it frustrates you at times too. It's the, the way people use language. Um, mm. you know, there's somebody that we know who was talking about something online today around all lives matter. Um, and this whole, whole debate that went on around this, you know, why it's, it's not about all lives matter. It it should be that all lives matter. But the fact that we have to say that black lives matter because they're valued less is a problem. Um, or people who say, I don't see color. Yeah, you do. Everybody does, unless you're colorblind and then it's Mm -hmm. more red, green, um, or red, blue. Um, but it's silly, right? But people tend to stand behind these truisms or these phrases. Um, why do you think that is? And, 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 and how do you get beyond those?
2: Um, Well, I think, I think that I don't see color. um, They, they see that as it offers a shield
0: Mm.
2: for them so that they don't really have to look at um, how they feel.
0: (laughs) Um,
2: I mean, the truth is that we all have biases. Mm -hmm. All of us have biases. And so um, if, if we start there, (laughs) Yeah. Like, if we're really honest about that, sure. then, then we can really get someplace. But if somebody is, you know, they, or, or there are, you know, there are ranges in terms of, you know, uh, uh you know, I'm not a racist, <laughs> I'm not prejudiced. So that, so because they make that statement, yeah. it, 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 it sort of, it, it, shields them from having to say yeah but when i'm on the elevator and i see a man of color come on i clutch my purse <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yeah
2: um because it's a bias yeah. what um, is
0: that?
2: that we have and so I, words definitely do matter and you know the the, the thing that i know the um the post that you're talking about and the, mm-hmm. and the thing that that made me sad was that the person who posted um, was so hurt yes by the fact that people were pushing back
0: mm-hmm.
2: um you know at her about well wait a second you know when you say that when you post the way when you post what you posted in the midst of everything that's going on do you recognize how that comes across and how that might be um received mm. and um but she was but she was she was hurt her feelings were so hurt and you know then then you had people that were trying to um sort of quell her feelings and they were but you're a good person and the thing is that it's it's not about good or bad no it really isn't it, it is about perspective and and there's nothing wrong with somebody offering you, um, you know, or challenging your perspective, and then you come back with your perspective. And I mean, and that's where debate and 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 discourse happens. Um, but we've got to get real, and we've got to get honest with the, with ourselves, uh, and that's everybody.
1: Well, it's uncomfortable. Um, I mean, yeah. it, it causes flop sweat. I mean, it, (laughs) it, it, if you're, if you're online, you have a, you have a little bit of a remove because people can't see your face. Um, but if you're in a room with somebody and you see somebody say something, um, uh, or they react a certain way, it's socially awkward to bring it up, to mention it, but it's necessary, you know, it needs to be done. Um. You know, I had this experience in junior high school that I think is it's kind of funny, but it but it actually it threw me for a loop when I was I don't know, what are you thirteen when you're in yeah, junior high? Thirteen,
2: fourteen. Um
1: so you know, we didn't have a lot of money and my mom um would never buy me Nike or Adidas shoes. She just wouldn't. Um as much as I begged. Um, And one day she came home and she, she gave me these shoes and they didn't look great, but she liked them. And, you know, I was 13, so she thought they were cool because they had a kangaroo on them. And it was my first week of junior high. And I showed up, um, at a middle school that was, you know, 35% African-American with Kangol's on Kangol sneakers. And for about three days, I was really, really cool to the kids who knew what Kangol's were. And I didn't. And I sat there puzzled, not understanding as they were talking to me and asking me, you know, what hip-hop people I liked. And there were like five people. And then they originally after a while they found out I didn't know what I was talking about. I had no idea. And it was funny that everybody drifted away and I and I and I thought, I know nothing about what Kangol is. There was no internet. I never really figured it out um, for a while. And I think about that, and it's so stupid and silly for me to go through something like that and puzzle through it. But kids go through an enormous amount of feeling alienated and other if you're a if you're a kid who's gender fluid, if you if you're gay or bisexual, um, it's in your face these interactions and this ignorance and this lack of sensitivity. So how do you raise kids? You know, my kids tell me none of their friends talk about these issues the way that we do that we talk about them a ridiculous amount. Do you find yourself doing the same thing?
2: Um yeah, um l- let me just start by saying that you know as the mother of an African American son um mm-hmm. you you kind of ha- especially about race, you kind of have to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um that sort of lays out what life might be like, life is likely to be like um, Mm -hmm. when they go out into the world, um, you know, when they're in school, when, when they grow up, you know, I, I was speaking to my mentor this morning and he was saying, you know, we have to have that talk just like parents have to tell their kids, all parents have to tell their kids don't touch that um don't touch the stove because yeah. it's hot and it will burn you um you know it's just one of the the like you said the truisms that that my son has to deal with and and now he's six, six sure. um and and pretty you know big and he's going to be playing football and so you know he he's you know he's going to be seen as a threat and i think i think th- that yes we we have conversations about what's going on in the world because i think as my husband and i are trying to make sense of things you know he's sort of in the mix of 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 those discussions trying to make sense of things and then trying to make sense of things for ourselves and then also trying to kind of help him sort of see his way so he can navigate um the things that um the society sort of throws at us.
1: Yeah, but yours are different. This this is the thing that's that's throwing me is that, you know, <laughs> I can I can tell you about the sneaker thing and it's amusing, right? It's a little kind of blip of something that I remembered in my life. Um, I don't have. I've never had a conversation with my kids that said you need to behave differently because of how you look, um, or because there are people out there who may judge you. Indiscriminately, um, and so you shift into a much more serious conversation with a child for their protection. You know, the the silly thing is, you know, don't go up to strangers. You know, that's don't get in a van. Um, those are the truisms that we say. But you're you've got to figure out at what age do you tell Noah, here's how the world works right now. That's painful.
2: It is. And I mean, I think, you know, sometimes you initiate that conversation and sometimes you have to have that conversation because of something that happens. For instance, um, Noah played football for, um, you know, our town, like Pop Warner mm-hmm. teams. And um, on while on the team, um, one of his teammates referred to him and, you know, several other, um, players of color, you know, as the N word. Um, and, and so they were in what, f- this is like 2016.
0: Mm.
2: So, um, I'm trying to think, I guess he was like, I guess he was around 13, maybe 13,
0: 14.
2: Yeah. Um, and You know I automatically go into you know mama bear mode and Mm -hmm. um you know uh pushing back on the coaches who really didn't do a good enough job teaching this the teaching the players yeah what why that was not right but then also not really holding the young man who said it accountable
0: Mm -hmm.
2: um and you know and what i said to them was you know you're 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 doing him a disservice too because you're making him think that what he did was okay
0: yeah
2: um and so that's a situation you know where i had to have a conversation and i think it's you know you have to judge it's like you 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 start out a lot simpler you know mm-hmm. using a lot simpler terms but then you know, as they grow older, you have to start of filling in the the blanks a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more.
1: Well, but I mean, that, that kind of gets to the, you know, how you process pain is huge. Um, I can process my own pain just fine. You want to hurt me? You hurt my kid and it's a whole nother level of pain. Oh, yeah. And... You know, my kid uh, saw somebody stealing something and um, stopped the person from stealing it. And the teacher gave both kids detention. And my kid told him he was unjust and went down to the principal to tell on the teacher. Uh, and he was suspended. Um, and uh, in the process of doing that, I had a conference with um, the teachers. And one of them used the phrase, you know, well, they just, these kids just need to man up. And I, I lost it. You know, I said, first of all, completely sexist. Second of all, this kid's trying to stand up and you're the ones do in the authority right thing. treating that He's way. He's trying
0: to
2: do the right thing. Yeah.
1: And, and so, and you hear these phrases, right? You hear through the right thing. And, you know, and I, and I think the same thing it's, you know, you, you have these, these things that resonate in your head. Um, how do, how do you process that type of pain? And how do you get through your life if the randomness of all these other ignorant people can have you know tragic consequences for you because you have a tall kid who you know has dark skin? I mean, how do you how do you deal with that on a day to day basis?
2: Um. Well, I think talking it out helps, um, and you know several pieces of poetry have resulted from Mm -hmm. circumstances that I've been in or that our family has been in.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, You know, sometimes you feel like screaming.
1: Well, tell me about that. I want to know more about why does poetry, why does the rhythm and the structure of trying to distill you know, these experiences in words, why does that help you? Because you're a published author. You've written how many books,
2: three,
1: three books, you, you have a strong faith. Um, and you lean on these words and other people lean on your words. Why is that so useful for you?
2: Um, cause to me, once it's on the page, it's, it has life. And, and it takes on a life of its own. Um, so the, so the poem that I wrote about the experience with the football team, you know, has been read, um, in numerous places in front of numerous audiences. And, and so they were able to, um, take in the the circumstances, um, by which the, the poem was created. So, I think it's, it's, it's my way of doing something, um, because I've always believed that words have power. Um, and so, you know, when I, when I use my words to, you know, to project what's going on in, in, you know, around me, um, then I, then I feel one, it's healing because it's like, you know, it's like, you've gotten it out and two i know that it will it will have it will take on a life of its own because you know people will read the book people might talk about the poem um i i was i was um invited to read some of my poetry at a a a gwinnett mercy class
0: Mm -hmm. um
2: and it was talking about race and um and when the students sort of like you know the the teacher had the students Write a reflection on the session, and I was amazed at how they got it. Yeah, and, and how, um, and how it meant something to them, and how it might have moved the needle a little bit. And so that to me is satisfying.
1: Because, well, but that's, I'm sorry. No, no, no. You go ahead. Because no, I
2: was just going to say because the, you know sometimes there's only so much you can do. And, and the situation with the football team, I mean, I, you know, I was ready to go full throttle. <laughs> <laughs> um, my husband, who's a little bit more temperate, was like, okay, no, I think we need to leave this alone. Um, and I didn't want there to be friction in my house. So I, <laughs> I acquiesced and said, okay. But I was frustrated because I was like, this is wrong and something needs to be done. And, you know. And so th- that's that's why you know the, the poem gave me that satisfaction, and you know I will have the final say, and mm-hmm. and and the 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 situation you know will will um, not just die um, because it shouldn't die, you know when these when these things happen, I think people need to be called on it because. How do they know they're, you know, I think some people, yes, they know that they're wrong and they do it anyway. But then yeah. some people just don't know. And so sometimes pushing back helps them to at least um, maybe a little bit understand the the, the issue.
1: Um, but but pushing back with art has, um, you know, first of all, your your poetry is concentrated. So you're 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 focusing it on a particular issue or an emotion or a feeling that you want to get across, and it also takes it out of the direct confrontation, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and you get to have a conversation, and I think that conversation is what matters i mean when you and i have talked about this before we talked about what you know germany did you know when they when they went through you know the Nuremberg trials and they look at the you know the way that germany has kind of reset itself uh related to nazism or what the you know the south africans did um when they had their uh their reconciliation councils you know putting people who tortured people in the same room with them so they could hear why is it so important that people actually? Hear directly from from people, and why is it important to do it face to face and not just on social media?
2: Because you you can't run, can't hide mm-hmm. when you're face to face. You you know it's it's like hitting you in the face, mm-hmm. um, and I think you know when people are when when they are confronted with. The truth of the of the pain that that's been caused, I, I think it, it it's more real when you're when you're standing in front of the person that was um affected by whatever happened. You, you know you can't sort of wish it away um, mm-hmm. as just a you know something that happened somewhere to somebody. Yeah. When you're when you're when you're standing in front of the person that 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 you know, has had to deal with whatever it was that, that the pain that, that, that was caused, um, you are, you are forced to see it.
1: Hmm. And to be, to, to, so kind of be in the moment, right. To, to sit there yeah. and, and deal with it. And it seems to me that there's a generational shift, at least that kids who are connected through social media feel more of a sense of um, community, um, even as sometimes social media makes things less personal. Um, what what do you think is going to happen next? I mean, what do you think the next generation will do with this? Um, it feels to me like we're in an inflection point. Um, do you see it more hopeful for the next generation or do you think that there needs to be a a level setting?
2: Um, I definitely have a sense of hope. um, When I think about this next generation, I think that they are, they are so brave in their willingness to, to say, no, that's not right. Mm. (laughs) Or a question like, why is that? You know, and, and not accept, well, that's just the way it is. You know, they, they, they question, you know, the, the, the societal norms that are really wrong. (laughs) And so I, I, I feel hopeful. Um, I think they also, you know, they, they don't seem to, to gravitate towards the labels that our generation and generations before us have come to embrace. Um, they they don't they don't buy that they you know they they don't think it's necessary and and they think it's wrong um and they're just like you know just can you just treat people fairly treat people equally can you can you just do that Mm -hmm. (laughs) like why is that such a hard thing to to even grasp yeah and i and i think that because they'll keep pushing back i mean and i think you know, little by little as, as previous generations die off and this generation mm-hmm. continues to, to, to grow and get older and be sort of the leading generation. And then with, with generations to follow the, the, the norms will have changed. Mm-hmm. I believe.
1: Well, so, so let me, um, be, before we end, I want to, um, I have three different things I want to talk about. One is, um, What advice would you give to, um, to Caucasian people, to white people who want to learn more and understand what it's like, um, to go through what's happening now, um, to see what's happening on television, um, to see protests, to go through the, um, the back and forth. What, what advice do you give them?
2: Um, I, I, two, it's twofold. I think. One is, you know, have a conversation if you if you have a friend of color, have a conversation with that friend and and, and ask them, because I think sometimes, you know, we might we might spend time on the niceties, but we don't really get to the, the thick of things. And so I think
1: mm-hmm. people,
2: have, you know, but if you so if you have somebody that you have that comfort level with, spend some time talking to them yeah. um, so that you can kind of, you know, glean their their perspective. Um, I also think, you know, history is important. And I think, you know, all of us need to have a sense of history. Um, and so, you know, there's so much information that's available. Um, you know, there are books, there are mm-hmm. articles, there are videos, there are, there's just so much yeah. just to kind of give um the 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 sense of history for people of color and not just African Americans but like, you know, Latinos and 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 Asians and Pacific Islanders and 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 you know there there are um atrocities that have been um perpetrated against all those different types of people.
1: Sure, absolutely yeah.
2: So 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 yeah, so 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 learn You know, learn the history, and um, because I think when you when you learn history, then it puts things in context.
1: Mm. Well, Um, you know, I mean, and that's exactly what I think. I I think that the context is is what's king. It's it's not the content. It's can you understand the context that somebody's living in? So 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 with that, the two questions that I that I want to end with are so what and now what. So what that we're sitting here. And we can't go over the Ben Franklin bridge to Philadelphia because it's closed or that the Walmart, Walmart is boarded up. So what, why does that matter that our lives not only are disrupted by COVID-19, but they're disrupted by these massive protests that are happening, um, not just in major cities, but in suburbs as well. So what, what's that mean?
2: Um, I I think it really speaks to the fact that when one part, Of our society, when one group in a society is, um, you know, when they when they are troubled, when 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 there are when they have problems, when when they are not treated fairly, it 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 impacts everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it, it it impacts people differently but the tentacles are reaching, you know, all
0: around. Yeah.
2: So, you know, that's, I think that's at the heart. And, you know, I also think, you know, and my, my, my prayer is that people will, yes. Um, you know, there are riots and looting and fires and things that are horrible that pain me to see. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but, but I hope that people will not lose sight of why. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, and also not lose sight of the fact that everybody that's out there is not doing those things. Yeah. There Mm -hmm. are outside influences Mm -hmm. that are causing some of the strife too. Um, so, so, so sort of seeing, seeing the bigger picture and, and also, um, you know, understanding and, and, and not losing sight of why it's happening, because until we get to that point where people get it, where, where we, you know, and are, and are, um, you know, in line with wanting to see change happen, mm-hmm. I, you know, we're, I think it's going to be a perpetual, you know bloodbath even um yeah because it just keeps repeating itself
1: well and that and that's kind of that that's the piece that i want to i want to end on is now what you know with all of this what's your wish what's the what's the hope um that needs to happen beyond everything else that's happened before because it does feel like a groundhog day situation um what do we need to do differently?
2: Okay. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a, a man named Daryl Davis, mm-hmm. who is a musician. He used to play with Chuck Berry and Jimmy mm-hmm. J. Jimmy J. Lewis or, yep. um, he has taken on, um, a mission to educate, um, white supremacists. Yes. <laughs> um, he, and he's helped to um,
1: two hundred convert,
2: 000. like two hundred, yeah.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And um, and 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 the way he's been able to do that is his willingness to okay, look past some of the obvious stuff that's going to come out of it, but but really see the value of getting to know people.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. And and so that kind of brings me back to the civil discourse and. Um, WHYY a couple of years ago did this thing called Courageous Conversations,
0: mm-hmm.
2: where um, they, had, they had a bunch of speakers. But then, you know, afterwards we were all divided and we were sitting at different tables, and there was a mm-hmm. facilitator, and there were diverse people at, at each table. And then for, you know, an hour or so we just talked. I mean, the facilitator, led but you know we talked and people had the opportunity to to hear various sides of the issue um of race and i think that's what's now what i think those conversations are crucial and they they need to be set up across the country um so that people can really start to just talk to each other um, and, you know, that the one thing that uh, the WHYY um, event specified was that, you know, there were going to be some ground rules, you know, so they had, you know, a guide to respectful conversation mm-hmm. um, so that the conversation can happen without all the craziness.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, that, so maybe that's the best way to end. I would love to see a guide to respectful conversation. I would love to be able to, you know, find places where you can, um, where you can go to be educated, but we, we teach that discourse. Um, I think civil discourse is, um, is why I wanted to do this and why I wanted to talk with you first. And, you know, I, I want to end on, on something that, um, one of the most clear conversations I had with you when I was. 15 or 16 was sitting with you and a woman named Sheila Gaffin and a guy named Joel Trinidad, um, who were both friends of ours. And we were talking about Ronald Reagan. And you were educating me on the way Reagan treated African Americans. And I was ignorant. And I remember this conversation with you. And I remember thinking that this was a person that I needed to stay in touch with, that I needed to stay connected to, because. You could teach me. And I appreciate that um, because you're one of my oldest friends. You're friends with my wife. You're friends with my friends. And I value your perspective. Um, So that's why you were, why I asked you Um, because I didn't, uh, I couldn't think of anybody that I've trusted longer to talk straight to me about these things. So I want to thank you for that.
2: Well, from one teacher to another, because I always learn from you. um, And I, uh, have just been um, you know I've been I've been disheartened about the fact that some of the people that I love the most have been kind of quiet
0: <laughs> during mm.
2: these times um, but you know I can always trust that you will stand up for what's right regardless and well, so I appreciate you. Um, In just the same way that, you know, that you just expressed appreciating
1: me. Well, thank you. And I will um, I will tee this up before anybody else who knows me that, yes, you're not going to stop my big mouth. So I appreciate (laughs) that. Okay, that's all the time that we have now. I really want to thank you. Um, This is Lenny Unitebeck-Porson, Forsen, is a friend of mine from a very long time ago. And this is Carmen Farino. We will do more of these. Um, We're finding our way here in terms of the format. Uh, And I want to thank you, Lenny, for for helping us do that. And I think uh, the biggest hope that I can have is that we'll look back in a year or two or five and say that we started something here that was interesting and helpful. So thank you for that.
2: Thank you.